Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Monday, October 4th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. And on this week's financial show, Google is abandoning plans to offer bank accounts. It's becoming prohibitively more difficult to own a home these days. And earnings season is just around the corner. We've got one company that my guest here has got his eyes on. And yes, it's my guest. He's my guest every week. I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm always happy to, to, to connect with him and, and bring him on the show here. It's, it's Certified Financial Planner, Matt Frankel. Matt, how's everything going? Good. Am I really a guest anymore? I feel like I'm kind of like a, I'm kind of, instead of a house guest, I'm like a cousin that has a key to the house. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess I'm trying to be technical because really, honestly, at this point, I would refer to you more as a brother. Um, <laughs> but technically, I guess I'm the host, you're the guest. But yeah, this is way more of a collective effort on, the, on, on our part. So yeah, maybe but let's come up with a better word for that next week. Let's come up with a better <laughs> word. Matt, uh, we were talking about this uh, towards the end of last week, and this was just an interesting headline that caught our attention here because of, of the the ramifications. Uh, but then also, you, you kind of wonder about this this just bigger picture perspective on big tech and how how invasive they they really could potentially be. Google um, is abandoning its plans to offer bank accounts to users. Now they were they were looking they've been looking for for years now to to sort of get. Um, get their finger, get their foot through that door, so to speak, in in uh, financial services, fintech, whatnot. And and they, they their goal, they were going to partner up with banks and, and uh, figure out a way to offer banking accounts to users. Now that uh, plan has been abandoned. Um, what what what's the headline here for you in in regard to this move? Well, I mean, the big headline is that banks aren't as disruptible as we might have thought. Ah, yeah. Um, so. Google announced this in 2020. They announced they were going to create a checking slash savings account, like all-in-one product called the Google Plex account. Uh, and they were going to partner with Citigroup and Stanford Federal Credit Union. Uh, that was pretty concrete plans. They had a, you know, a, a name for it already picked out. Um, and they recently they just announced that they're going to abandon those plans um, to focus on, quote, digital enablement for banks. So they're going to, in, instead of being a competitor to banks, they want to be a partner to banks. And there's some big reasons for this. Google doesn't, and other big tech companies for this, for that matter, don't really need to be making enemies with the big banks. These are companies they rely on for revenue. Um, a lot of these banks are cloud service customers um, in, in Google's case and in Amazon's case. You remember back and advertisers, in- And advertisers as well. Right. Ad, they're advertisers yeah. as well. Remember back in 2018, I'm pretty sure we talked about this on the show. Um, Amazon announced plans to do something similar. Yep, we never heard of, <laughs> never heard another word about it. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and and you know, there, there's two real reasons here. It's the they don't want to be competitors to banks. They they want more of a benefit, mutually beneficial relationship. You know, if Google partners with Citigroup, and Wells Fargo is one of their big cloud customers, I don't know if that's true, but just say, you know, that that alienates one of their big customers. Um, so, and I mean, the same could be said in Amazon cases. I guarantee you, Amazon Web Services has a lot of banks as, as customers. Oh, most certainly. Um, so that's reason number one. And number two is the one we always talk about when with everything regarding banking is regulation. Um, 
you know, this wouldn't exactly involve Google becoming a bank itself. It would be, you know, using Citigroup's infrastructure to offer the product. But at the end of the day, you're still offering financial products and services to customers. And that could make regulators take a little bit of a closer look. I don't know. Which, which reason do you think is the big one behind this? You know, I, I, I thought about this from a number of different angles. And there are a lot of questions that came up. Because, I mean, on the one hand, it does feel like there are other examples of big tech companies trying to get some sort of, of, of entryway into a meaningful market opportunity. Payments is clearly a massive market opportunity. Um, it, this, this makes me think of, of Facebook's um, efforts to, to try to get in, into payments. Um, and they're still fiddling around with their, their, their digital or virtual currency, whatever you want to call it. I, I don't even know that that's really a thing still. So, so it, it makes you wonder, number one, is there a point where consumers say, you know what, I don't really want that, right? It's one thing to come up with something that a consumer doesn't even know they want yet, right? That was kind of Steve Jobs' MO. I mean, he, he was always coming up with design and form factors and things that, yeah, this is what the consumer wants, they just don't know it yet. And, and to a large extent, that worked out pretty well. But when you look at a lot of these big tech companies, I think there's a line that people start to feel like they, they are willing to draw saying, listen, I, I like Google for X, Y, and Z, but I don't want it doing A, B, and C. I'm not interested. So maybe this is, maybe this is hey, guys, maybe you need to kind of stay in your lane. I, I don't know. Yeah, and I have to wonder how much upside there would be even, let's say this product had worked out. Um, I mean, you, you really have two kinds of financial accounts. You have, you have people who use traditional banks, like me, and I'm, I think you two you've mentioned on the show. Sure, yeah. Yep. Um, and then you have people who use things like Cash App and PayPal and Venmo primarily for their, for their money transfer needs. So where does the Google checking savings account really – like how much – how many people would it take away? I feel like everyone's relatively happy with one option or the other out of those, either traditional banks or the new fintechs. That, that is there really that much demand for a, a new banking product from these big tech companies? Well, in in even looking away from finance, and I mean, we we saw we've seen over the past few years efforts from big tech, Amazon, namely, uh, trying to figure out their ways to to get their foot in the door of the healthcare market, right? And you've got Amazon owning PillPack, I think it is, right? So that there's there's a little bit of of, of a an opportunity for them to exploit their logistics expertise, but is that something? Where, I mean, it it, it like banks, I, I think you look at the current state of the healthcare uh, industry. I mean, it's it's just a very difficult industry to disrupt. It's one thing to say you want to go in there and make it better. I mean, it's another thing entirely to actually do that. And and so it does feel like even success there is going to be incremental, maybe at best. Yeah, I mean, like I said, this is bullish for banks because it's 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 showing what a hard industry that's going to be to disrupt. Even all the the new fintech players are getting bank charters now when you think SoFi, Square. Um, are start, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see PayPal do something like that. Um, but all the, the new fintech providers are getting banking licenses. It's really tough to disrupt banking without being a bank. Oh. Um, so, <laughs> That's very well, very well put. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Square's done a good job, but even they're seeing like, you know, there's an upper limit. Same with SoFi. There's an upper limit to the financial ecosystem they can build out because, yeah, their lending pro- pl- platform is great. You know their investment platform is great. Their little their money accounts are nice, but at the end of the day, I still need my Wells Fargo account to be able to go to the bank and to be able to write checks and things like that. So by having an actual 
physical branch network, which is what SoFi is going to ultimately end up doing. Um, they, you know, they acquired a branch-based bank not that long ago or announced plans to do so. So it's really tough to be, to, to kind of offer a banking alternative without being a bank. And like Sid, in Google's case, to do it, they would have had to piggyback off Citigroup, which would have made enemies out of everyone else in the banking sector, which they don't want. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. Um, final question before we go to the next story. Do you feel like given – it's, it's not that Google's saying they don't want to be a part of this, but they seem to be focused on maybe coming at it from a different direction now and, like you said, enabling um, financial services, enabling the banks to do more. Um, now, that it, admittedly is a little bit more behind the scenes, but even still, it feels like to me, given where things stand today – the development, the quick development we've seen in the fintech space, the, some of the consolidation that we're seeing, it feels like to me, this perhaps results in Google making or Alphabet uh, making making some acquisitions in order to build up this presence. Do, do you feel like that's a possibility? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see Alphabet or any or some of these other big tech companies like Amazon uh, ultimately acquire some fintech providers to um, really... Uh, one thing Google mentioned in particular was virtual cards and improving the security of online payments. So I could see them acquiring a fintech that maybe is developing some sort of technology to that end. Um, but I mean, that's a big problem. Online payment security is a big problem. And all banks need that. All banks yeah. would benefit from that kind of service. Yeah, and that, that sounds that sounds a lot like a, a company out there I think we've, we've uh, talked about before on the show, Marketo, which is in the card issuing and the virtual uh, cards and the APIs for its customers to be able to, to sort of tackle that issue. So it'd be interesting to see. I mean, to me, you look at something like Marketo, uh, it, it, it's, it's small enough still, granted it's brand new to the public market, it's still small enough today to where it's not out of the realm of possibility. That could be a big sort of elephant gun acquisition type move for something like Google if they decided they wanted to pursue that opportunity. Yeah, I mean it's a way to use their reach to benefit from the the from banking innovation without actually trying to be a bank themselves. And I think at the end of the day that's really where all these big tech companies are going. Even Apple, you see a, you know Apple's partnering with Goldman Sachs on a credit card, but that's because Apple is a consumer products company. Um, that's not because Apple wants to be a bank. They have they have some financial services, just like Google does. Google still has Google Pay, um, things like that. But they, Apple's has, to my knowledge, has never said they want to actually offer bank accounts. Um, and and I could see it staying that way. I don't really see that being the way that all these tech companies are going. Well, Matt, mortgage payments these days are getting a little bit more difficult to afford for a lot of people. Um, according to the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta, the median American household would need 32.1% of its income to cover mortgage payments on a median-priced home. Now, that's the most since November of 2008, when that number was 34.2% of income. Clearly, there is a confluence of events going on right now, pushing house prices up. Um, and it feels like we are getting to a point. We're seeing some signs. You're seeing a lot of folks that are being priced out of the housing market again. Um, we've, we've seen how that shakes out historically. Uh, but but what do you make of this data? Well, one, it's it's not just that mortgages are getting less affordable. It's that they're getting less affordable very quickly. Um, when you think like, let's start at this the beginning of 2020, right before the pandemic hit. When the pandemic hit, mortgage rates plunged from about 4% to under 3%. And home prices stayed relatively flat 
at that for the for the first you know six seven months of the pandemic. So that made home prices more affordable, and not to mention all existing homeowners were refinancing, getting their mortgage payments down. I know my mortgage payment fell in 2020. I'm sure yours did too. I think you refinanced. You oh yeah, we refinanced absolutely. Um, so what you're seeing now is kind of a perfect storm of factors that are, are not letting not letting homes become affordable. 23% year-over-year price gains in the median home in America. 23%. I mean, that's not that's not even close to normal. No, that's... <laughs> I mean, normal's about 3%. Home prices generally keep up with inflation, which is about 3% a year. So the problem is, there are some factors that are helping homes become more affordable. Wages are up 3% year-over-year, for example. So that makes affordability a little bit better. Uh, interest rates are still way below where they were at the beginning of 2020. Um, and, but just to put that in perspective, the difference in a 30-year fixed rate mortgage payment between a 4% mortgage rate and a 3% mortgage rate is about 12%. So when you have home prices rising by 23% year over year and more, and the cost of the an X amount mortgage falling by only 12%, you can see how that doesn't really work in the buyer's favor. Doesn't line up. So it, homes are definitely becoming less affordable, and it's you know it, it's it's due to higher home prices, but that's caused by things like low inventory, um, a labor shortage that that's affecting home builders, supply chain shortages that are affecting affecting home builders. Home builders all have big backlogs; some even stop taking new orders. Um, so it's it's a big inventory gap right now that's driving home prices higher. Who knows how long it's going to last? Anything that can I. Home prices are generally more stable than the stock market. Anything that can rise twenty three percent in a year can fall. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So I'm I'm curious to see what how, how this plays out. Yeah, and you know it feels too like there is a psychology at play here. I mean, whether it's stocks or real estate or precious metals, whatever it may be, um, there is that fear of missing out, right? That FOMO, and it starts to drive that human psychology a little bit uh, to where people. People behave somewhat irrationally, right? They do things they don't necessarily need to do. And maybe someone is feeling like, oh my God, this is the last chance we're going to have to buy a house. We better do it now, even if we have to pay up for it, without even thinking really forward that, you know what? I mean, historically speaking, these things do correct themselves. And this is a bit of an outlier event. So, I mean, it seems reasonable, at least, to assume that at some point or another, housing prices should normalize. Um, it's a lot more difficult, I think, to, to, convince people of that though, right? I mean, that human psychology is very powerful when it comes to, especially something like a home, right? Where so many people have that goal of becoming a homeowner. That's like the top of the mountain for a lot of folks. And now all of a sudden you're saying that that may not ever quite be within reach. So you better just stretch yourself as much as possible now or else. Well, the other side is we don't know if home prices are going to normalize or come back down a little bit. If inflation stay, I mean, right now everyone's kind of basing all of their economic assumptions on the premise that inflation is going to be temporary. If that turns out not to be the case and inflation stays at like 5 to 7% for the next several years, home prices might not come down. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, take a little bit longer for them too. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean I mean if $100,000 today is worth $70,000 in a few years, you know, home prices are not going to come down like like Especially not to the the previous level. I mean, they say inflation's transitory, but that doesn't mean things are going to go backwards. Uh, transitory just means it's a, a you know a temporary bump, and then it's going to level off a little bit. 
But you're still going to have yeah. that new kind of price floor. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. When inflation. you start raising people, when you start raising people's wages, you can't you can't pull that back. When companies start raising prices on things like burritos and toys, you know they can pull that back at will when they want to juice sales by by discounts and offers and, and things like that, campaigns and whatnot. But typically, again, those are very they don't they don't want to take that back. And so, and so certainly you see, I mean, uh, those 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 prices. Yeah, they start to go up, and we're seeing a lot of the the economic conditions that are really prompting that. Uh, Matt, we are just a not even a couple of weeks. I mean, I guess really a couple of weeks away from earnings season starting up, and I know it feels like we just wrapped up earnings season, but you know our lives are really just one perpetual earnings season, and that's okay because we love it. Uh, but earnings season is just around the corner. J.P. Morgan unofficially kicks things off for us on Wednesday, October 13th. Uh, what What is a company, you know, we'll talk about this next couple of weeks here. I wanted to highlight a company today, though, um, a company that you're paying particular attention to this quarter as as earnings reports start to uh, start to come out. Well, there's a few. You just mentioned JP Morgan. They generally set the tone for earnings season, so I will be paying close attention to them. Uh, Wells Fargo is, you know, my stock to watch in 2020, so of course I'm <laughs> yeah. going to be paying that attention to them. One that I find really kind of a fascinating case is SoFi, um, ticker symbol S-O-F-I. Um, this is one that went public by SPAC earlier this year. Um, and the reason I'm really excited about this one, it's not just because their recent earnings numbers have been impressive. Their recent growth numbers have been accelerating, which is really rare for a company that's growing that fast. So just let me name a couple statistics. SoFi grew its member count at 113% year over year in the second quarter, more than so more than doubling. Not only was that an impressive growth rate, that's the eighth consecutive quarter that that growth rate has increased. In the first quarter, it was 110%. In the fourth quarter of 2020, it was 90%, the year over year growth rate. In the third quarter, it was 74%, and on and on. So if that number keeps accelerating, things could get really interesting for SoFi. Um, and the part of their business, there are two main products that SoFi offers. There's lending products, which is how it got its start. They're you know an alternative lender. And then financial services product, which is a new and by far the more exciting part of the business. This is their investment platform, their money accounts, their credit cards, things like that. That part of the business is growing exponentially. I, I wish I could share with, with podcast listeners this chart, but SoFi's if, if I were teaching exponential growth in a math class, this is the chart I would use to show a real-world example of it. <laughs> That's great. Um, it was up to financial services products. The count of financial services products that customers use was up 243% in the second quarter. 243%. You're, and this is not a small business. This isn't like it went from one to four. Like it, it, this is, <laughs> they, Their product count is in the millions. So... If that growth stays anywhere near that level, it's going to be a really, really interesting quarter and an interesting couple of years because financial services products, we know, we've talked about this in our, our bank accounts with, I, I believe, Wells Fargo for both of us. Um, it, it's really, the customers don't like to switch those. So once SoFi lands a customer, that's usually years of recurring revenue and a, a, and a long-term relationship between them. So 243% growth in customers that could stick around for years and years is pretty impressive. Um, they were profitable on an adjusted EBITDA basis. Um, they're still kind of losing money. 
they've been raising capital hand over fist um, in a good way at a very cheap cost of capital. Um, they're doing this tech trend where um, they raised $1.1 billion recently in convertible notes that pay 0% interest. And they just they <laughs> let the bearers convert to, to common stock at about 40% over the current stock price. Wow. So before there would be any dilution, stockholders would have to be you know win by 40%. That's, so that's a, that's a that, incredible cost of capital. <laughs> it is, but also, I mean, that is a, I mean, that's certainly a sign. I mean, I, I you know, you don't read too much into it, I guess, but it, it's certainly a sign that there's a lot of faith out there that what that what SoFi is doing is working. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, oh, there are people who think this is going to be the the next ten bagger in the in the financial sector. Um, I mean, I don't know if I would go that far, but I'm a I'm a big believer in the company. I've, I'm a shareholder myself. Um, I've added to my position several times since I went public. Um, and this is one that I will really be paying attention to just because, like I said, accelerating growth is really exciting. Oh, um, yeah. You know, strong growth is great. Don't get me wrong. All these, all the growth companies we follow have impressive growth. But accelerating growth, especially when it's a three-digit number, is is really impressive. Well, folks, you've got it there. SoFi it, uh, is one we certainly talk about on the show from time to time. Look forward to catching up uh, with you again, Matt, when the quarter drops. We can go over go over the results on the show and um, and hit the good, the bad. And hopefully hopefully there is no ugly. Hopefully there is no ugly. But, you know, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. But, um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, SoFi to me is just a fascinating business from a number of different uh, – from a number of different angles, and I'm, I'm really, I am fond of leadership there. I think Anthony Noto has just done a tremendous job. He's a, he's a tremendous advocate and ambassador for the brand. But I think he also, given his work history, uh, he just really feels like this is the guy who knows exactly what he's doing. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of faith there that, that leadership is is making the right decisions as well. But uh, yep, we we will we will catch up on that one when they when they report. And next week we'll give you a chance to shine the light on another company you are looking forward to this coming earnings season. But I think now uh, for today at least that's going to do it for us, Matt. I as always appreciate you taking the time to join us. Awesome, thank you for having me as usual. And we're gonna have to make a better title than guest for next time. We're gonna work on that one this week. <laughs> I promise we can come up with a better name than guest. Yeah, brother in arms. Something like I don't know, just yeah. Guest, guest is just, it's just, 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 it just got no, it's got no. You know, I'm not, fee- I'm not feeling the love there. Well, I've been here every week for like five years. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's gonna do it for us this week, folks. Remember, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus or drop us an email at industryfocus@fool.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks, as always, to Tim Sparks for putting the show together for us. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. 